0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good and I think two crazy martinis, but the middle one could certainly be bad too when you consider the one person out of the loop in the Biden administration and a key story is Biden himself. Uh, So let's move to our good martini now, Jim. And we haven't talked about Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin in a little while. We certainly talked about him a lot in January and February when the big dust up over masks was happening as it related to Virginia schools and him getting legislation in place to give parents the option. Uh, A few weeks after that, it seemed to just kind of... Domino effect to uh, all sorts of other places and mask wearing became optional. And then, of course, uh, we had the court ruling on uh, transportation uh, this week, which we'll talk about in a second, Martini. But Glenn Youngkin is doing more good things. This is courtesy of KPVI. A new law signed by Governor Glenn Youngkin will prevent police departments from enacting arrest quotas which one sponsor believes will ensure police arrest people for the right reasons. House Bill 750 and Senate Bill 327, both signed by the governor, will prohibit police departments from establishing formal arrest quotas or maintaining informal arrest quotas. Such quotas would encourage police officers to secure a certain number of arrests in a given time frame. Delegate Robert Bell, Republican of Albemarle County, who was a sponsor of the House version, said, quote, This was an effort by numerous groups and people who said you shouldn't have a formal or informal quota. He said uh, these decisions should be based solely on what is best for safety. He said police should not be forced to arrest people for other reasons. The legislation received unanimous bipartisan support in both chambers of the General Assembly. So, Jim, it's, it's certainly been urban legend for a long time in, in different parts of the country. Uh, I don't know how much uh, of a hard and fast rule it was, was that you know, state troopers, if it's the beginning of the month or the end of the month, be careful how fast you're going because they might be behind on their quota. So whether it's formal or informal, it seems like a really bad idea. If the person needs to be arrested because they committed a crime worthy of arrest, arrest them. If not, don't arrest them. But uh, Common sense stuff like this that gets a broad base of support. Good move.
1: I was going to say, if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket on the 28th, 29th, 30th, or 31st day of the month, you've probably been frustrated. You may have felt like you were going, yes, officer, I was going a little over the limit, but I don't think I was going excessively beyond the limit. We all know that people going 56 in a 55 zone do not get parking tickets. And you may start to wonder, "Hmm, if this had been the middle of the month, would I have still gotten the ticket or would you let me off of the warning or let me go, you know, go past. Particularly when all, all the sheer number of vehicles going at well beyond the posted speed limit, and you're simply trying to keep up with the pace of traffic, what the actual speed limit is, is kind of this guessing game. You know, is it five miles over the limit? Is it 10 miles over the limit? Is it 15? My sense has always been, 10 or less, you're probably gonna get away with it. More than that, you're going to, but you think about it, whether or not you're breaking the law really shouldn't be such a gray area. It really shouldn't be the sort of situation in which, well, one person doing it on one day isn't really a crime, but another person doing it on another day is a crime. Now, I'd always heard about this and it always seemed like this was a revenue issue. The idea that if you are in a particular jurisdiction and part of the way they make money is through people paying fines for speeding, well, it's getting towards the end of the month. You better catch some guys. Better bust them, even if they're going only a few miles over the limit, because we got to make quota, et cetera, et cetera. The idea of an arrest warrant like, what do you do if your policies are working and crimes go down? <laughs> right. Quick, Jay Walker, get him. <laughs> you know, like, what are, you, what are you doing? Were you like, oh my God, we got to, well, we, we have to arrest 15 people this month. You know, it's, it's either it's written or maybe it's kind of informal, but if we show up with only 13 to 14 arrests, people are going to think we're doing a really bad job. So we'd better go out and start arresting people um that is a a kind of ludicrous uh, application of this and it's completely contrary to the concept of the rule of law I think we, we all believe in clarity if the person broke the law they should be arrested if they did not break the law they should be arrested and we don't like the idea of this fuzzy middle period yes there's always been a concept of prosecutorial discretion yes the cop can always you know uh has the option of letting you off with a warning if he genuinely thinks you're all right you know you just weren't well, you know trying to didn't realize how fast you were going and you're trying to pick up your kid from daycare or something. Not that I'm describing anything that's happened to me. <laughs> sort of but anyway, this seems very you know, common sense. This its hard to believe this would have any bad consequences for law enforcement or for crime enforcement. And just as there was this gradually increasing hostility to red light uh, cameras, and people started noticing that more and more jurisdictions were treating them as a revenue source and not as an actual traffic safety source. This is purely common sense. Good job, Glenn Youngkin. By the way, I saw on the op-ed page of the Washington Post today, a tyrant's playbook in Virginia. Mr. Youngkin takes his culture war too far. <laughs> he's also, I guess he's also at war with the police because he's requiring them to have actually good reason to arrest people and no quotas and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, problem- I tell you, that Glenn Youngkin, he holds, he, he contains multitudes.
0: <laughs> if he holds any cultural positions that are conservative, his culture war, according to these people, or has will have gone on too far. But you make a very good point. Uh, if you want to build trust uh, between the community and the law enforcement, have consistent standards on what involves an arrest and what doesn't. Obviously, circumstances can be a little bit uh, different from case to case, but in the end, uh, consistency will breed trust, I believe. So good on Glenn Youngkin and uh, good on the legislature for uh, coming together in an overwhelming uh, margin to do that. And hopefully it's enforceable as well. All right. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you can still get a phenomenal deal on your six-piece pillow towel set. Uh, and you're going to want to do that because nothing beats the feel of a great towel when you step out of the shower. Big, soft, thick, fluffy, gets you dry super quick. And right now, Uh, Still, the great deal at MyPillow, you can get the six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 a set.
1: And in fact, you can be patriotic when you do it because the cotton used in the MyPillow six-piece towel set is grown right here in the United States. Now, some other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well. Or maybe they absorb, but they don't feel good on your skin. They've got that lotion-y feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty.
0: For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set. Again, regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 with the promo code Martini. Visit MyPillow.com slash Martini or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow Mattress Topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash Martini or call 800 874 0104 mypillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, uh, we talked yesterday about a, uh, a Twitter site uh, making a difference and uh, the Washington Post's apoplectic response to that. Another uh, Twitter account that uh, you and I uh, look at a lot is RNC Research. I don't know exactly who's running it, but if it's making a difference politically, I'm sure Taylor Lorenz will get right on that and give, give out their personal information and so forth. But yesterday they had this great tweet with the audio of three different figures from the Biden administration reacting to the federal judge's decision earlier in the week to lift the mask mandate on transportation. You know, planes, airports, buses, trains, metro, what have you, Ubers even. Uh, and so, the question was, you know, is this administration going to challenge that ruling? So, <laughs> our Research has Jen Psaki on the plane at 1 o'clock, Biden on the ground in New Hampshire at 2 o'clock, and HHS Secretary Javier Becerra at 3 o'clock. And uh, listen to these uh, competing uh, reactions to what is going to happen now with masks. The CDC continues to uh, advise and recommend masks on airplanes. We're abiding by the CDC recommendations, the president is, and we would advise all Americans to do that. People continue to wear masks on planes. That's up to them. We are right now in the process of deciding, and we likely will appeal that ruling. So Biden says it's up to them, meaning you know it's it's voluntary. If you want to wear them, uh, go ahead. If not, uh, then then you don't have to. Uh, Jen Psaki obviously thought that you should. Javier Becerra indicates I think we're going to challenge this, and then we find out that the Justice Department is, in fact, challenging this. They're not going to ask for a stay on the ruling, so you can still make up your own mind while this is uh, being challenged in court. But, uh, Jim, uh, not exactly a consistent message from this administration, and perhaps most disturbing, the one who was most clueless was the president himself.
1: Yeah, I went back and forth with uh, uh, Tom Nichols earlier today uh, when I wrote about this in the morning, Joel. So, you know, first of all, I think it's safe to say that most Americans are tired of wearing masks. It's now been well more than two years. Um, if you were at a hospital or doctor's office and there were particularly who were people who are particularly high risk for you know COVID-19, then okay, maybe it's a different story. But by and large, it doesn't make any sense for the current policy, uh, which is that right now, certain airports like the one in Philadelphia, Philadelphia International Airport are saying, well, you still have to wear your mask. Because of a local ordinance, what the FAA and, and all these federal authorities are saying doesn't matter because we still have the local authority to do this. Um, if you're in the New York City area, you still have to wear masks on the subways. But if you're commuting into New Jersey, you and once you get onto New Jersey Transit, you no longer have to wear a mask. I think we can all recognize this is silly. This is ridiculous. It doesn't. You know, it's not like the virus is only on one, you know, mass transit system or is only in certain airports or something like that. I went through all the statistics. I went through all the cases of. Um, Uh, Oh, basically, you know, has there been there's been a very small increase in cases in DC? Maybe an uptick from the immediate post uh, Omicron wave lows, but we're talking you know minuscule increases, and certainly not something that should be rushed. Have us rushing to the public health equivalent of Defcon One again. Then I would describe going to a store in Southwest Washington over the weekend. It was a politics and prose. It's a you know, I think it's run by lefties, but it's generally I I love bookstores. Almost always going to them, and they had a sign that said. Uh, you must wear a, st- a mask in this store. Now, they have them to give away, and I had one in my car, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just not dealing with it. I'm not going to go in. And maybe they lost a sale because I'm really bad at resisting the temptation to purchase <laughs> purchase a book. But you know, it's a free country. They, The District of Columbia allows businesses to set their own policies, and if they want customers to wear a mask, fine. That's fine. Go ahead. I'm just not going to shop there because there are a lot of bookstores here in Virginia where I don't have to do that, and it just turns into a hassle. You know, if it was conditions like Uh, you know, pre vaccinations, if it was pre boosters, all that kind of stuff, fine. If the staff wants to wear a mask, go right ahead, be my guest, but you want me to do it? No, sorry, I'm just not gonna do it. I have options. I'm gonna use those other options. And I think more and more Americans are in that mindset here. Now, the other aspect of this, which is frustrating, is Joe Biden being asked, and by the way, the question clearly was, should Americans wear masks? It was not, what should the FAA do? Not: What should the CDC do? What should the Department of Justice do? What should the Supreme Court do? Technically, Biden's "they" could be able. It was pretty clear, he was asked about the American people. The "they," you know, uh, the "they" he's referring to refers to, you know, do what they want. And it is not the first case. In fact, it's now. I feel like these cases are coming more frequently. On top of, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. And what Russia is doing is committing genocide. Where we've had White House staffers come out and say, "Well, actually, technically, no, it's not that." What the president said is the, the policy of this administration is the exact opposite of what the president just said. And it's kind of it's turning into a frustrating, ridiculous policy. I'm sure they could say, oh, when, you know, uh, when Biden said the American people should decide for themselves, he was speaking from the heart, Greg. <laughs> and as we all know, when you speak from the heart, you lie <laughs> or you say the exact opposite of what is true.
0: Yeah. So when Biden uh, speaks from his heart, he's uh, not reflecting policy because we never actually create policy based on what he truly believes. <laughs> well, yeah, he's kind of this like pundit or so. He's like this
1: outside observer to the administration who just kind of rattles off what he thinks. And some days it lines up with the administration. A lot of days it doesn't. It doesn't set policy. It's not like he's the decider, as uh, George W. Bush described himself. He's just some guy who runs along and talks about uh, this sort of thing, but who in the end really doesn't decide what federal policies ought to be. No, no, sorry, it's just, um, you know, it's it's guessing. He's he's just kind of rambling, guessing. Grandpa gets confused. And sometimes it relates to uh, what the policies are gonna be, but a lot of days it's just some guy saying stuff. Nobody really cares, nobody really pays attention. It's grandpa, you know, he always goes off on these rambling stories. (laughs)
0: Jim, I also noticed that the Democrats and the Biden administration did not take your advice to just accept this as being thrown in the briar patch and let the thing expire. Yeah. And then if anything bad happens, blame somebody else for it. But nope, no, no. They got to keep fighting.
1: I mean, at this point, it's like you might as well just come out and say, OK, let's go out. You know, we will do everything we can to keep you uh, uh, to keep you in masks. Right. If you want more masks, America, vote for the Democrats. Just just let Biden let it all out.
0: All right, uh, let's move on to our uh, third martini, our second crazy, and uh, Jim, Adam Kinzinger. We've talked about him before with a heavy eye roll, which is hard to tell when it's an audio podcast, but... You can hopefully tell in the tone of our voice that Adam Kinsinger has kind of turned into a one issue guy. He's not running for re election again to the House. He says he's just tired of Washington. I'm sure the fact that the Democrats uh, completely gerrymandered him out of his district had nothing, nothing to do with that decision. But uh, he's not running for the House again. Uh, He had been allegedly rumored to be considering a run for governor. Didn't do that. Not running for Senate. So, what's he going to do next? Ah, you might run for president, he tells the Huffington Post. He says, I look at it this way. I'll make a decision when we get there. If there's a need and a desire, it's truly not anything I'm planning right now, but I'm not going to rule it out, he said. His voice rising in such a way at the end that suggested that this was supposed to be the main takeaway. Look, if we're in a position, if it's just terrible candidates and the country's in a worse place, maybe, but there's no grand plan right now. And then the reporter says, I asked Kinzinger whether he wants to run against Trump, who is expected to mount a third campaign for president. Quote, I would love it. I really would, he said, his eyes instantly widening. Even if he crushed me like in a primary to be able to stand up and call out the garbage is just a necessary thing, regardless of who it is. I think it'd be fun. So, Jim, uh, it looks possible that in 2024, the role of Joe Walsh will be played by Adam Kinzinger.
1: Yeah, you know, if he says if there's a need, it's really hard to imagine a scenario where there's a need for Adam Kinzinger to run for president. And I'm going to say this like, you know, I I could say this with disdain, but I'm just going to observe that like, look, you know, the future is always in motion. It's possible something could change, you know, heaven forbid Donald Trump has a heart attack or something like that. I do not want to see something like that happen. But by and large, based on what we know now, Trump has every intention of running for president again. The only guy who I could see taking it from him, and I'm not even gonna say this is a likely scenario, but the guy who's been mentioned most often as a potential competitor is Ron DeSantis. Um, Right now it looks like he's gonna get reelected in Florida probably by a really healthy margin. He's gotten a lot of national headlines. Decent number of of people who voted for Trump twice who talk to me, know my opinion of them. I suppose they could be telling me what I want to hear. But generally they say stuff like, look, I voted for Trump twice, but I'd really like to move on. We need Trump without the circus. We need Trump without all the distractions or something like that. And when they look at Ron DeSantis, they see that. They see somebody who gives them either the same or the approximate same as all of Trump's strengths without all of Trump's weaknesses. And he isn't going to spend the campaign ranting about 2020 and Venezuelan hackers and the election was stolen and stuff like that. So I think if, there, if you really don't want to see Trump being the Republican nominee in 2024, you really should be leading the Ron DeSantis fan club. I have not seen most of the people who are, who let's just say made a profession out of opposing Donald Trump uh, for, You know, since, uh, since 2016. The Mark Sanford's of the world, I think Kinzinger fits in this category. Um, I would say technically Jen Rubin, but it's hard. people have a hard time remembering she was ever a Republican or a right of center. But the people who are really, really uh, and to, the people at the Bulwark, for example, by and large, if, if they've ever written a nice thing about Ron DeSantis, I've, I've missed it, right? They, they are not Ron DeSantis fans. You're not gonna, you know, I actually, you know, I think um, Larry Hogan in, Ma- in Maryland is doing a pretty good job as governor out there, but he's not gonna go walk in and win the Republican nomination. I'm sorry, just you gotta, you gotta deal with the reality here. Um, there is no, you know, you, you can be the Mark Sanford, you can be the Joe Walsh, you can be the I am the Republican for Republicans who hate Donald Trump, and that is if you're lucky, ten percent of the of the primary voters these days. I I I just don't see there, you know, I don't see that expanding to uh, fifty percent plus one or or any larger chunk. If you are uh, over, if unless you are a rock ribbed, indisputable conservative, if you want to have somebody else besides Trump to be the uh, nominee, then you need to have be both a conservative. You need to be good on television. You need to have a whole bunch of good qualities. And you probably need a way to make Trump voters to say, hmm, well, I like Trump, but I kind of like what that guy's doing over there, too. He, he kind of reminds me of Trump in the good way. So, you know, could DeSantis do that? I don't know. It's a little, you know, it's I'm not saying it's an easy shot, but I think it's a plausible shot. Much more plausible than Kinzinger. So I really am saying anything like does, what is the scenario where Kinzinger, the only way way Kinzinger can be a factor is that if it is a close race and that Kinsinger effectively plays the John Kasich role. In which he gets into the race and he splits the anti-Trump vote, because let's face it, you know Trump. But there's a good chunk of Trump voters who are going to stick with him no matter what he does, no matter how much he says about 2020 election, no matter how crazy stuff gets. He's gonna, they're going to stick with him. So if you want somebody else besides Trump to be the nominee, you got to get as many people unified behind one alternative as possible. And I'm telling you now, that alternative is not going to be Adam Kinzinger. <laughs> it's also not going to be Larry Hogan. Uh, I think uh, Liz Cheney's getting a lot of grief that she doesn't deserve, but no, it's not going to be her. You know, it's going to have to be somebody who's just Trumpy enough to make Trump supporters say, hmm, maybe I like that guy. Right now, I think DeSantis is the best shot. There are a couple other people who I think would be good can, you know, good national candidates, Greg Abbott in Texas. I think uh, Tim Scott of South Carolina is a guy I've wanted to run for president for a long time. I think he's terrific. You know, maybe some of these, but right now, these guys aren't making a lot of noise about running. I think mo- these guys are all relatively young, and I'm sure a bunch of them would say, you know what? In 2028, 20, we're either gonna have a Republican president, and things will be great, Or in 2028, there will be an open slot. Trump will not be running and I'll be able to uh, run, you know, in a much better political environment without the 800 pound gorilla in the room. So that's where it stands. And so I have no I have no idea what Adam Kinzinger thinks he's going to do unless he wants to form some super PAC and go on, you know, what I was describing in 2016 as these, you know, uh, high, high, high profile book tours that are disguised as presidential campaigns.
0: Jim, we are done for the day. Let's do it again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Also, uh, thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.
1: This week on the Federalist Radio Hour. Um, a lot of people have theories about the so-called sex recession, which is actually pretty well established at this point, um, at least with, you know, millennials and now with Gen Z. They're just generally lower risk takers. Um, it's mm-hmm. actually pretty amazing. Like even getting driver's licenses at lower rates. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.